Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Excited to get into the Word today. We are in part two of a sermon series that we've been calling, I've Got Questions. I've Got Questions. Were you here two weeks ago when we talked about the first question that we have for God? It was, why? A lot of times we ask God why. So this whole series is about the things that we feel like we need to know and the things that we go to God for. And hopefully you've gotten so much from this series so far that you would understand that it's okay to go to God with your questions. I'll take it a step further and I say, he wants your questions. He wants you to bring them to him. He wants to hear your doubts. He wants to hear what you're anxious about, what you're worried about, because he's got answers. And so two weeks ago, we asked and answered the question, why? That's a question we ask God a lot. If uh, someone in our life passes away that we love, we want to know why. Um, If something happens with the child and they get sick, we want to know why. If the marriage didn't make it, we want to know why. If an innocent person goes to jail, we want to know why. If uh, international conflict arises and hundreds of thousands of people are displaced from their homes, like what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now, we want to know why. And the answer to that question, if you were here two weeks ago, and I'll just summarize it, but you really would benefit listening to the message in its entirety, is quite simply, God answers when we ask him, he answers, I am. And uh, I want you to lean into that answer because that is going to be a very important touchstone that we continue to return to throughout the remainder of this series. God says, I am. God's got a way of answering the question and not answering the question at the same time. So today, the question that we're going to jump into is a question I think that we all ask ourselves. It's going to be in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. It will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you today. It goes like this. One day, while Moses was taking care of the sheep and the goats of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock across the desert and came to Sinai, the holy mountain. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a flame coming from the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that it was not burning up. This is strange, he thought. Why isn't, there's that word again, why isn't the bush burning up? I will go closer and see. Can I pause for a second? Time out, time out. Your questions will either draw you away from God or pull you into God. Moses had a question and he did not let his doubt push him away. He allowed his doubt to draw him in. I'm curious, if there's ever something in the Bible that seems fishy to you, dive in. If there's ever something you're mad at God about, dive in. He's got answers, press in. So he does that. He gets closer. In verse four, when the Lord saw that Moses was coming closer, he called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He answered, yes, here I am. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. We said that this is the year we go into the cloud and into holiness. Please understand that whenever you step into holiness, there's some things that got to come off. Verse 6, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have, I love this, watch this, this is so encouraging. Then the Lord said, I have seen how cruelly my people are being treated in Egypt. And I have heard them cry out to be rescued from their slave drivers. And I know 
all about their sufferings. Time out again. Isn't it cool to know that when we suffer and that when we go through pain and when that we experience rejection, we never go through it alone. We think that nobody sees and nobody knows, but God wants you to know that he sees your pain, that he hears your prayers, and he knows your suffering. I just came to tell somebody today, God is with you in the midst of it. God is with you in the middle of it. You are not alone. You are not alone. When you feel like you're alone in your bedroom, crying in your pillow, and then your family walks in, and you're like, I got something in my eye. God knows. God knows. He saw it. What I love about God is he doesn't just speak English, Spanish, Chinese, Russian, French. He also speaks tears. And he sees everyone. And he hears everyone. And he, and he walks with us through those pains. So uh, verse 8 now that he knows everything that you're going through, here, here it is. Look, and so I have come down to rescue them. I could just preach so much on this right now. Because in the beginning of the story, it was the angel of the Lord, not an angel. Whenever you hear the phrase angel of the Lord, the only time angel of the Lord is used in the Old Testament is used to reference the spirit of Jesus Christ. So you see angel of the Lord in a tree and then his next words are, I've come down to rescue. Come on. Anytime I see Jesus in the Bible, I get excited. The angel, way more excited than you are. Or maybe I didn't do a good job teaching it, but. <laughs> the angel of the Lord on the tree, on fire, but not burned up. Dying, but not dead. God. Jesus, it's beautiful. You gotta see it. You gotta see it. See it. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of Egypt. To a space. This is what I do when I'm in the 12, uh, 30, what time is the service? 12 o'clock service. <laughs> I, I, take, I just break down everything because there's no service coming after this. And that's why these sermons are super long. Verse 9. I have indeed heard the cry of my people. Just jump to verse 9. I have indeed heard the cry of my people. And I see how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now I am sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of his country. Now, verse 7 is really what we're going to preach about today though. But Moses said to God... I am nobody. I wonder if anyone has ever felt that way before. I am nobody. I'm nobody. I'm a no one. I, my parents were nobodies. My grandparents were nobodies. I don't come from some special lineage of people. I'm a nobody. How can I go to the king and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Here's the title of today's message. Here's the second question that we're going to delve into today. The question is, and I believe that we all ask it, is who am I? Who am I? And unless you bumped your head, caught a case of amnesia, and lost your driver's license, this is not typically a question we ask ourselves. Who am I? You just pull out the ID. Okay, there it is. I live at this. I'm this old. I got brown eyes, I got black hair. Okay, cool. But this is not a question in the context of your identity. This is a question in relation to your clarity. Knowing who you are in the context of life. Clarity, listen, in three areas we're going to jump into. Clarity in your ability. Clarity in your community. Who are my people? And clarity in your destiny. 
These are the things we ask the Lord when we ask the Lord, who am I? And unlike last week where I answered the question at the end of the sermon, or two weeks ago, when I answered the question at the end of the sermon, I'm going to answer this question at the beginning of the sermon because God answered it for Moses. Look at God's answer in verse 12. (laughs) It's funny. God got a sense of humor. Moses told the Lord, who am I? And then the Lord answered, I will be with you. Come on. God funny. He's funny. Who am I? He said, I'll be with you. Yeah, 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 okay. (laughs) But who am I? I will be with you. In other words, it's not about who you are, Moses. It's about who I am. (laughs) It's about who I am. It's so great. That God answered the question, but didn't answer the question. And that's what God always does. Anytime you ask God a question, he's not going to answer, but he's going to answer. And I love that he didn't answer. I love that Moses didn't say, uh, God didn't say, Moses, who you are? You're Moses. And I picked you out of the river, and Moses is, Moses is smart. <laughs> Moses is strong. Moses is bright. Moses is handsome. <laughs> Moses is anointed. Moses is good. Nuh-uh. Because he knew that Moses would go through moments where he doubted all of that. And when you go through moments when you can't believe in yourself, you got to know that there's a God who is able, who is bigger, who is more powerful, who is wiser, who is stronger. And the seasons that I doubt myself, I have to become more confident in God. As I was preparing to preach the second and third sermon of this day, because the first one was tough for me, because I felt tired and I felt weak, a Bible verse popped into my heart. And it was my strength to come back up and give it my best. When I am weak, you are strong. Your power is made perfect. God has, it's, you point to him when you feel like you don't got it. I love it. He said, I will be with you. That's the answer to who you are. And when you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. That will be the proof that I have sent you. Can I just pause right there too? That's funny. He said, how are you going to know it's me when I get you out? But I kind of need to know before I go. Because what if I go and it don't work? God says, your confirmation comes at the end. Some of y'all been asking Lord for a sign. He said, here's the sign. You're going to make it through. So Go. <laughs> And when you make it through, you look back at me and be like, won't he do it? <laughs> yes, yes, he will. Yes, he will. In verse 14, God said, I am who I am. You must tell them, God was rapping. The one who is called I am has sent me to you. Are you ready? When you ask the question, who am I? God answers, I am. I am. Now, In order to understand the answer, we got to rephrase the question. Because like I said, you can't think of the last time you asked yourself, who am I? But we we ask ourselves versions of this question. Three in particular. Here's the first. We might not say, who am I? But we have asked ourselves this question at one point in our lives. Am I enough? Am I enough? Have you ever asked yourself that? Am I enough? Go ahead, put it on the screen. Am I enough? Am I enough? Moses didn't think 
He was enough to accomplish the mission that God had for his life. I wonder, do you wonder if you're enough? Do you ever wonder if you're like savvy enough to grow the company, to grow the business? Do you ever wonder if you got good enough grades to make it into that Ivy League school that you've been shooting for? Do you ever wonder if you're talented enough to get published and write that book? Do you ever wonder if you're attractive enough to truly be loved? I know I got uh, a lot of family who have recently kind of rededicated their lives to Christ. I'm so grateful for you, by the way, for making this church a beautiful place for your generosity. I got like 16 cousins. They all came to church on Easter. And they, and they all, and God, God touched their heart and God touched their life. But I bet you one of the questions they're asking themselves, of, am, I, am I good enough to actually do this Christian thing? Am I, am I disciplined enough to actually make it every Sunday to read my Bible and pray? I think one of the hardest things to wrestle with is your ability to be a Christian. Which is ironic because the whole faith is founded on not what you can do, but what our Jesus did. So that's the answer to that question right there. I am. But it's a reality. We look at ourselves and we wonder, do we have what it takes? Am I enough? I have found that in the majority of the instances when we doubt ourselves and that the answer to the question is, no, I'm not enough, listen to me, it's not really about your inability as much as it's about your insecurity. Moses was able, but it wasn't his ability that locked him out. What got him was his insecurity. Moses had a stutter. And when God called him, he said, I don't think that you can juice me. Not making fun of anybody with a stutter. I just, that's how I imagine it went down with Moses and, and God. And I think we all have an insecurity in our life that devalues us. Maybe it's not a stutter. Maybe it's your weight. Maybe it's your height. That's mine. I wish I was a little bit taller. Wish I was a baller. <laughs> I got a girl. She look good. I often call her. That's me. I do. I wish I was like six foot, you know. Huh? Oh, you like me at 5'8"? Okay. Um, for others, it might be our accent. Jomar, wherever you are. Love you, bro. I'm on him. I've been on him all week with his. I love it. For some of us, it's our acne. For others, it's our education, our lack of it. GED, you know, community college. Don't even tell people where you went to college. I don't want to say Valencia, it's okay. <laughs> Nobody's taking shots. We're happy for you. I didn't go to school. I didn't graduate high school. Like, okay, I, I, I get it. So it means you're like Moses. But if you're like Moses and you got something in your life, an insecurity that devalues you, I, I, I got questions. Like, I even got questions about Moses. Like, here's my question about Moses. Did he even really have a stutter? Because I see him give some pretty awesome speeches throughout the book of Numbers in the rest of Exodus and, and in Deuteronomy. So my question is, if you stutter, how come you give like amazing speeches that are still in the Bible? What if his stutter wasn't as bad as he thought it was? I think sometimes, hear me, we'll use our insecurities, they fall into two categories. First, it'll, it'll be an excuse. Sometimes we will use our insecurity as an excuse to not even step out into the thing that God asked us because it's easier to not try than to try and fail. If I think I can't do it, so I don't even put myself in a position to do it, technically I never failed. I just didn't do it. But if I put myself in a position and then I drop, that's called self-sabotage. 
We're going to say, we're going to reject ourselves before anyone else can reject ourselves. That's how it works. So, so sometimes we use it as an excuse to not even get in the game. Other times it's not an excuse, it's an exaggeration. Yeah. I think sometimes we see things in ourselves that are there, but they're not like that bad. Like I wonder if Moses really had a stutter problem or if he just ate peanut butter one day and he was like, and it stuck and he was like, I stutter. How many people have heard my wife preach before? You've heard Pastor Liz preach before? Great. A lot of people, she's a good preacher, real good preacher. She's going to preach in June, I believe. She's going to tear it up. She's so good. And she's preaching at the women's conference. Let's go. Raise your hand. And it's okay if you're honest, but be honest. Don't just raise your hand because I'm asking you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've, <laughs> raise your hand if you have noticed that she speaks with a lisp. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 out of 200 people. Just 15, babe. Raise your hand if you notice that she has a lazy eye. By the way, I asked her permission to share all these things. <laughs> Raise your hands if you notice my wife has a lazy eye. Now one hand. It's hard to see. It only comes out when she eats really good food. She'd be like, how happens. Raise your hand if you've noticed that she has scoliosis. My wife has an S-shaped spine. Uh, they didn't catch it when she was young, so it, it's still with her. There's nothing she can do about it now. If you look at her clavicle, her left clavicle is lifted up, not like you and I. It's just standing straight. It comes out because her, her rib cage is actually twisted inside of her body. None of y'all saw that, and you've been around her for years, some of you guys. But you know who sees all of those things and then some? She does. And sometimes when we have conversations about preaching, She'll want to back out because she sees things in herself that no one else sees. But when she preaches, people meet Jesus. But she almost misses out on the thing that God has asked her to do. Not because she isn't it, but because it doesn't matter what you are. It matters how you see yourself. And if you don't see yourself for the way God made you, you will never step into the fullness of all that God created you to be. You know what's crazy about Moses? 40 years before the burning bush, he tries to deliver an Israelite from an Egyptian and nobody even asked. God didn't come down from heaven. There was no burning bush. From what we can tell, the Israelite wasn't even like, help, help. He just, he just saw two people in a fight and he did and he killed the Egyptian. He was delivering before anyone asked him to deliver. Like, mind your business, right? But no. Jumped right into it. Why? Because he saw himself as a prince, because he was living in a palace. But 40 years of living in the desert will change somebody. 40 years of picking up sheep poop will change somebody. 40 years with no audience, 40 years of being rejected, 40 years of being an outcast, it'll change somebody. So 40 years after he helps without even being asked, God has to beg him to be a deliverer. And the only thing that shifted was not who he was, but who he saw himself to be. Who do you see yourself to be? Be careful. He categorized himself as a fugitive. And that's why he ran away when God called, because that's what fugitives do. They run away. Be careful when you categorize yourself. Don't be Goodwill, the thrift store. Are you familiar with this place? No? It's really good thrift store. I, know, I don't go often. I hate it. But my wife, 
She's really good at it. Nothing against Goodwill. I just don't like shopping in general. She loves shopping, which is her hobby. Don't know how shopping could be one, but it's her hobby. But I'm glad that her hobby takes place in Goodwill. Amen. And so I got to show you something Pastor Liz picked up from the store, which is amazing over here. Thank you, Martin. This is a chair Pastor Liz bought from Goodwill. Guess how much this chair cost? This is a good-looking chair. She bought this chair from Goodwill for $10. Now, that's not expensive at all. Her and I were curious about how Goodwill priced their things because $10 is cheap for a chair. You would pay more at a garage sale for that. So we got up on the Goodwill website, and we found out how Goodwill prices their things. Go ahead, put it on the screen. That's how they do it. They don't look at the individual item. They put the item in a category and they assign a price according to its category. So when you go to Goodwill, if it's a shirt that you're trying to buy, it's going to be anywhere between $2 and $12 for women. Sweaters, $5 to $15. Tanks, $1 to $6. Jeans, $4 to $21. Two-piece suits, fellas, $10 to $30. Pick me up a suit at Goodwill, pass it is. $30. They don't price it for its individuality because they don't have enough people to do all the research. So they had to find a method for valuing items that was fast and quick. And the fastest and quickest way to value it was to categorize it. Do you know that people will do the same to you? Instead of getting to know you, instead of getting to hear your history, instead of getting to get to know where you went to school and who your mom was and who your dad was, what they will try to do, because they don't have the time to get to know you, is put you in a category and then assign a value to you. So they'll go, oh, was she divorced? She was divorced. Boom, certain price. Huh? Oh, oh, he's, oh he, didn't, he didn't graduate school? Boom, certain price. Oh, he's an ex-con? Went to jail? Boom, certain price. Instead of trying to to hear the, the idiosyncrasies of your identity, it's just faster and easier for people to put you in a category and then dismiss you. But the saddest thing about it is not that people do it to us. The saddest thing about it is that we do it to ourselves. We put ourselves in categories and put price tags on ourselves based on what's happened in our life, based on what others say that we are. Don't do it. You're going to misprice yourself if you put yourself in a category. I promise you. Pastor Liz, Pastor Liz, she took this thing home. She didn't know what it was when she bought it, but she has a good eye. So she, she took it home, and the kids had stained it. So, so she took off the cushion, and, uh, and she had to put the cushion away and then put this in the washing machine. And when she did it, she saw the tag. This isn't just a regular chair, y'all. This is... Restoration, restoration hardware. Now, if you don't know what restoration hardware is, that just means you're middle class. You're middle class. Restoration hardware is like the opposite of Ikea. It's very expensive furniture. We never shop there for good reason. But it's nice stuff. Pastor Liz Googled. The price of this chair, <laughs> would you believe the $10 chair, the chair that she bought for $10, 
if you go online right now and try and buy it, ship it to you without shipping, it's $220. Come on, somebody. $220. I'll tell you what, my wife got an eye for value. While other people walk past, she can, case in point. There was a lot of ladies that walked past me, but she looked at me and said, what he doing in the clearance section? Come here, boy. Pick me out. That's a diamond in the rough. And I just came to tell you that every job that ever passed you by, that every person that ever walked past you, that every father in your life that said you would never amount to nothing, for every parent that wasn't there, they are going to kick themselves when they see what God does in your life and how he blesses you and how he elevates you and how he lifts you up. They couldn't see the value. But you and I both know why God always knew that you were somebody. You were not a category to be dismissed. You were not an object to be discounted. You are somebody. And you know what's crazy about the value of this chair? The chair did not change. Wood and cotton. <laughs> and metal. That is what this is. The value of this chair did not change because the chair changed. The value of this chair changed because we all became aware of the designer. I am preaching right now. I'm trying to tell you that your value is not what you're made of or where you came from or what even what you do. The value is whose label is on you. And you need to know that Jesus' label is on you. You have been imprinted by the Holy Spirit in your life. There is value in you. Stop judging yourself by yourself alone. Stop, stop measuring your potential by your past. Pastor Jeffrey Porter came in last Sunday. Praise God. I agree with everything he said, but one thing. Pastor Jeffrey, if you're watching, I'm calling you out, sir. <laughs> Preached a great message. But at the beginning of his message, I got a problem. Because he, he looked over at me and Pastor Liz. He said, I know Pastor Liz and Pastor JJ. She was 17 years old. Hey, this is how I imagine he talks in my life. He's here so, and 19 years old. And I'm not surprised. When I look at this church and how it grew, I'm not surprised. And when I see all the people, 2,000 people getting saved in five and a half years, I'm not surprised. And 109 people, getting, 107 people getting baptized in one day. I'm not surprised. Oh, hey, here, 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 pastor. You know who is surprised? Yeah, boy. I'm super surprised. Because when I look at my life, I know what I'm made of. I know where I came from. I know all the people that walked past me. I know all the grades that I got in school. I'm surprised when I look at myself. But when I read the Bible. And I see the things that God does. I'm not surprised. This is the same God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt by splitting the Red Sea. I'm not surprised. This is the same God that resurrected the dead, opened the eyes of the blind, opened the ears of the dead. I'm not surprised. This is the same God that cleared the skin of the leper, got the crippled man to walk, stretched out the hand of the crippled man. I'm not surprised. This is the same God who told the other man to pick up his mat and start walking. I am not surprised when I look at God, what God can do when you're in my life. I'm not surprised. When you ask the Lord, am I enough? Here's why God answers you. He goes, no, but I am enough. Come on. I am enough. I am enough. I'm going to tell you, that's, I think that's why God picks the unqualified. So that when he does what he does in their life, that person, because they know themselves, will be like, it wasn't me. There's no way. As a matter of fact, I got good news. Hear me. If you were voted the cheer captain of your squad, 
if you were the, the, the quarterback of your football team, if you were the valedictorian, valedictorian of your high school, if you were the tallest person in your school, I got, I got good news for you. God can use you too. Because <laughs> when I look at the Bible, all I see is him using broken people, short people, empty people, poor people, sinful people, messed up people, broken people, hurting people, painful people, people who have been through stuff. It looks to me like God's got an MO when he picks someone out of the crowd and it's the person who thinks that they're not enough. It's the person who thinks that they're not enough. So that's one question that, that God answers. Am I enough? And God's like, nah, probably not. But I am enough. I think the other question that we ask God is subversion of who am I is, where do I belong? Like, where, where do I belong? Who are my peoples? Because you were created to be in a community. You need to know that. When the, when the Bible describes you in the animal sense, it uses a certain metaphor that's very important. It doesn't call you a shark. It wouldn't do that. Um, I don't think sharks are in the Bible, uh, A. <laughs> but B, I don't think that the Lord would have used the metaphor of an animal that operates by itself. He calls you a sheep. Even himself, he calls the lion of Judah. I think there's a metaphor in the fact that both animals live in herds and prides. You and I were created to be in community. And, and if you're not in a community, you're going to ask yourself every day that you're not in one, where is my community? Moses relates to this really well. Hear me, because he was born a Hebrew, but raised by Egyptians. So he had one foot in one world, one foot in another world, and he didn't know which one he belonged to. And the worst part is, or the best part, if you're preaching about it, because we can relate to it, is that neither one of them accepted him. The Hebrews pushed him away because I think they thought that he thought he was better than them because he grew up in the palace. The Egyptians pushed him away because no matter how hard he tried, he was circumcised. So they would not accept him because of his skin or lack of it. He was, true. he was rejected by both people. So hear me, listen to me. He had no place. Anybody know what that feels like? To have no place? To look for, to look for like, I, I went through that because I grew up in New York City and it's a very multicultural, very diverse community. But the challenge in being in a multicultural, diverse community is that you don't know which culture you belong to. So like you try them out. And I went through that. So in elementary school, when I moved to Staten Island, I moved next to a neighbor, his name was Jonathan Dworkin. Do you remember Jonathan? Jonathan Dworkin, he was Jewish. He was so nice. He was the only kid to play with me in the playground. So for all of elementary school, he was my buddy. And throughout all of elementary school, because he was my buddy, I thought I was Jewish. <laughs> to be fair, I kind of look like it. <laughs> to be fair, I remember I got on a plane one time to go to Jerusalem and the stewardess kept asking everybody, chicken or fish, chicken or fish, chicken or fish. She came up to me, she said something in Hebrew. She just assumed by the way that I look that I was returning to the motherland. She looked at me, I said, hallelujah. Shalom, Adonai, Elohim. I'll throw all the Hebrew words on you. <laughs> she said, I'll put you down for fish. And as you went away. And uh, I remember, man, in elementary school, it was like you wasn't cool if you didn't get invited to the bar mitzvah. Like you had to get the bar mitzvah invitation or else you was left out. So, but then quickly I realized, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. 
Old Testament wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My Bible had both of them in it. Couldn't do it. So then I thought, well, maybe, you know, because I grew up in the 90s, which is the golden era of hip hop. Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Wu-Tang, Shaolin, let's go. That was Staten Island right there. Wu-Tang. Refugees. So there was a season. <laughs> I could have swore I was black. I could have swore I was black. I had size 38 jeans. I had the double XL Chicago 23 red and black jersey. I had the Timberland boots. But I'm not, I wasn't black. And all my black friends helped me realize that really quickly. <laughs> you know, some of y'all white people know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah? <laughs> like I appreciate the culture, but there's a line and I gotta find it and I'm not sure where it is. They helped me. Um, then high school came and I'm like, I finally figured out who I am. I'm not Jewish, I'm not black, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. Mi gente, Boricua. Yeah. Stop it, you're making people uncomfortable. There's only one problem, I can't speak Spanish. Not a word, not a word of it. I've never been to Puerto Rico. Ever even been. I mean, I have now, but not in high school. <laughs> Judgment coming from that side of the church. Good God. My goodness. About to strip me of my Puerto Rico card. <laughs> Never been. So I just thought, well, I'm looking for a community, so I'm going to try really hard to be Puerto Rican. So I got Air Force Ones with the Puerto Rican flag <laughs> on the side of it. I did the blowout. Do you remember the blowout when you got the fade in the curls up in there? I did. I just tried to be the... I went to high school and I saw a bunch of Puerto Rican kids in the corner and I was like, Boricua, that's the only thing I knew. And, and they accepted me and then they started me asking me questions. And they were like, yo, what kind of salsa you like? I was like, mild. <laughs> they were like, they looked at me all straight. I was like, nah, bro, salsa, bro. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, the closest we get in my house is the Macarena. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, that's all we do. I don't know about no salsa. So very quickly, I found out that I wasn't Puerto Rican. Enough for the Puerto Ricans. And then at 16, my mom and dad fly me to Brandon, Florida. So I'm not Jewish enough for the Jewish people, not black enough for the black people, not Spanish enough for the Spanish people, and I ain't white enough for the white people. In Brandon, Florida, I... I was a man with no community. I had a conflicted identity. There, was, there were parts of me that were fighting to figure out which me is the real me and I couldn't figure it out. And I wonder if you can relate. If there's parts of you that are fighting for you to figure out, like, like I bet there are some people who just started following God on Easter and now you got a problem because ever since you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, you don't fit in at the club anymore. So when the drinks get passed and everything else gets passed, it's like, I feel like I don't belong here anymore. But then you come to church and you feel like you don't belong here either. So when you get around sinners, you go, oh, I don't know if these are my people. But then you get around saints and you be like, oh, I don't know if these are my people. And you can't figure out who you are because you've got two parts of you fighting for you. Who am I? Where do I 
belong. You got a conflicted identity. And let me just encourage you, if that's you, be encouraged because Jesus had a conflicted identity too. Do you remember? 100% God, 100% man. Imagine the conflict in that. Your mom is Mary, a woman. Your father is Yahweh, the eternal God. Imagine being God trapped in flesh and you don't know which part of you. 100% God, 100% man. Every time I teach that, there's always some theologian in the lobby who wants to debate me, which is why I won't be in the lobby today. <laughs> Somebody will come up to me and go, Pastor, you said that I don't believe that. Because I said, why? They go, because 100% plus 100% is 200%. And nobody could be 200%. It's not even mathematically possible to be 200%. I'm like, hold on. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came back from the dead? They go, yeah. I go, cool. And math is the thing you can't get your mind around? Logic is what broke your brain? I got more questions than that, brother. I got way more better ones than that. He had to be 100% and 100% because he had to be an example about how someone can live a fulfilled life with a conflicted personality. I hope this is hitting home to you. Please don't look super holy to me right now because there's some people who are in, all of us, we're in church and there's a part of us that loves to be here and loves to worship and loves to praise God, but there's this carnal side. At the same time, it's like, let's get home. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to be here and I don't, but you need both. They're in you. You got both for a reason. Now you need both, but they're both there for a reason. He had to be 100% and it had to be 100% God because it was the only way he could save the world. It had to be a human who died on the cross because a human brought sin into this world. That was Adam. So a human has to bring it out. That was Jesus. That's why he's often referred to as the second Adam in the Bible. But in order for the human to take sin out of the world, he has to be perfect. But there's no human in the world who is perfect. So it has to be God. So the only way Jesus can fulfill his mission is if he was 100% human and 100% God. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Stop looking for where you belong and start looking at where you are. Because where you are, God led you through relationships, through failures, through communities, through churches, through breakups, through addictions, through struggles, through drugs, through prisons, through jail, to form a person who can have a foot in both worlds so that you can minister to the people that I can never minister to. I lost a child. So when I meet someone who's lost a child, I find my people because I can point them to Jesus like no one else can. The reason why you got a little hood in you and a little Jesus in you is because there are some people who are at church today who are our little hood and who are a little Jesus. And they need someone who's living it well to go, hey, I know it's not perfect and I know you're gonna struggle, but this is how you do it. You make one step after the other. You come on and you follow God. Exodus 3.10, God flips, the, God flips the conversation. Moses is like, show me my people, show me my people. And God says, you're asking the wrong question, Moses. Now I am sending you to the kingdom of Egypt so that you can lead my people. You're looking in your neighborhood for your people. But what you don't understand is I planted your apartment in that neighborhood because my people are waiting to be delivered. That's why you're there. That's why you have the friends you have. That's why you have the family members you have. Sometimes I ask myself that question because y'all crazy. But God puts those people in your life because what he wants you to know is you don't see it yet, but they're my people. That's why you had to have the dad you had. That's why you had to have the mom you had. That's why you have to have the sons 
and the daughters you have, as crazy as you think that they are, and I know you want to take the fraternity test, they are yours. In fact, that's why they're crazy, because they're yours. But you're the perfect dad for them. You're the perfect dad for them. You're the perfect, they are your people. So just embrace where you are. God led you there. God, where do I belong? You know what God says? I am where you belong. Follow me and I will take you to every space and place your destiny awaits. Follow me. Speaking on destiny, speaking on purpose, here's my last question that a lot of times we ask the Lord. Not just who am I, not just am I enough, not just where do I belong, but what am I here to do? Purpose, meaning. Purpose is key, y'all. Purpose is key. If you don't have purpose, if you don't know what you're here to do, you'll never make it through anything difficult because the moment it gets hard, here's what you're going to ask yourself. Why am I doing it? And if you don't have a good answer to that question, you'll drop it. That's why some of us can't stick out going to the gym and can't stick out our diet because we don't have a good why. That's why single people, the gym, a lot of single people at the gym, but the moment they get married, you don't see them at the gym no more. The dad bod slips in because the only reason they was working out was to bag it. But the moment they bagged it, they lost their motivation. I'm just saying, some of you think you can't get fit because you have a discipline problem. It's because you have a purpose problem. Find a good reason to be healthy. Liz and I want to be able to pick up our grandkids when we're 65. These muscles are not for you. They're for little baby JJ. I hope that's his name. It's to be an example. So be an example of a blessed life. Find your purpose. That's how you endure things. If you don't have purpose, hear me, everything you do in your life will be torture. Everything. When I was in Bible school, it was like, it's a little shady, some of the stuff they did to us. Nothing like crazy, crazy. But like one of the punishments, if you were real bad, they made you dig a hole and then fill it back up. That's it. And I know you might think, well, what's so bad about that? It was high level, mad genius torture. Because if I was filling a hole to run a pipe for the new children's wing of the church, I would have done it gladly. But to know that all my hard work was for nothing, that the very hole I would dig, I would then have to fill, they figured it out. They understood what torture really is. Doing work with no purpose. it It was torture. Can I tell you something? You don't really hate your job. Someone's like, I beg to differ. (laughs) You don't really hate your job. Hear me. You have not yet discovered the purpose in your job. Because even if you find a job that you love, I love preaching. Y'all, I love it. I love it. I love it. But sometimes this is torture. Sometimes when I'm putting together a message and I see the little cursor blinking at me, that's exactly what it's doing. It's cursing at me. The cursor pops up and it's like, you got it. And then it goes away and it's like, no, you don't. I don't know what to write, and it's, it is torture. Lord, help me. Tell me what to speak. But you know what gets me through it, and I love doing this? Purpose. What if you didn't have to change what you did for a living to be happy? What if you just had to discover why you do it? Are you ready to find your purpose? Say amen. Put this, put this in your notes if you're taking notes. Divine design. Divine design. Put it on the screen. Divine design. Divine design. This is how you discover purpose. You want to know why you're here on this earth? These two words are going to help you right now. Divine design. Let's start off with design. 
Your purpose, why are you here for? Design. Can I borrow your guitar for a second? I mean, keep it on you, your bass guitar. I'm gonna try and rest my Bible on this bass guitar, okay? I'm gonna just. That's the first time that happened in three services. That's a lie. I'll try it again. Stop it, brother. There we go. It's not working. I don't know why it's not working. I don't know why it's not working. It's not. Bad guitar. Bad guitar. Bad guitar. The guitar can't hold up my Bible. Bad guitar. Is it though? Or was he just trying to do something that it wasn't designed to do? Good pulpit. Good pulpit. <laughs> the first step to finding your purpose while you're here is accepting the person God created you to be. The design. That guitar wasn't designed to hold the Bible. And the longer it tries to hold the Bible, the more frustrated it's going to be in life. And this pulpit, as awesome as this pulpit is, this pulpit was not designed to play guitar. This pulpit was designed to hold a Bible, to hold some notes. And young people, because I see my journey youth, and by the way, here's how I measure you if you're young. You're under 25, okay? You're young. I know there's a 24-year-old in here. You're young. It's going to take time to figure out what you're good at. And it's going to take time to figure out what you enjoy. So don't crush yourself if you're 24 years old and you don't have life figured out yet. Calm down. You might not know. God knows. He's got it. Relax. It's going to be good. But what you do is not even as important as the other thing. Let's say I put this Bible on this pulpit, okay? It's on this pulpit. But now I take this pulpit and I put it backstage. Here's my question. If it's backstage and not out here, is the pulpit fulfilling its purpose? No. Even though it's doing what it was created to do, it's got the good what, but it lost its why. Am I losing you? It's why is to bring glory to God. It does that through holding a Bible. It's not what you do that gives you purpose. It's why you do it, which is why it's divine design. What are you good at? How do you tie that into bringing glory to God? And this is important for you to know because even when your what changes, your why remains. Your why remains. You got my father-in-law in the first row here. I said this about him in the second service. I'll say it again now because I mean it. He hasn't, his name is Pastor David. Pastor David. We call him Pastor David even though he has not pastored a church for 10 years. He has not pastored a church. But a pastor is who he is. You probably know him because when the service is over, he's the one down here shaking everybody's hand on the way out even though nobody asked him <laughs> to do that. He does it. And he says hi, and he says bye, and God bless you, and he hugs you, and he kisses you, and he, and he, so just, that's who he is, okay? But let me tell you, he doesn't do that just for, he does that because even though what he does has changed over time, why he does it, pastor is who he is, it's his why. So he's going to be a pastor in the, in the, in the third row of the chairs right there, pastoring everybody that walks down this aisle. He don't have a church anymore, right? He's a pastor, he's the pastor of this church, I have to remind him that sometimes but but you know who his church is he's got two members of his church they're like the most important members justice and zane 
And every time they spend the time over at grandpa's house and they see grandpa praying early in the morning and loving people and being generous and pulling over for strangers and vetting them before he gives them help, but he vets them, but then gives them help. Every time he does that, he's discipling and he's pastoring because even though the what has changed, the why remains. I'm trying to tell you, young person, find your why. And can I, can I propose one to you? Can I propose a why to you? To make Jesus accessible to anyone. If that becomes your why, that don't matter if you're a painter or if you own a painting company. In every step, in every space that I'm at, I'm gonna make Jesus accessible to anyone. It doesn't matter if you work for a Fortune 500 company or if you work for McDonald's. In every room that you step into, I'm gonna make Jesus accessible to anyone. It doesn't matter what school you go to, what, who you're with, make Jesus accessible to anyone. If that becomes your why, which is the mission statement of our church, by the way, why I believe that we're all in this room together, you know who you are, even though if you don't know what you're doing. I see the people parking cars and the people greeting and all the people who come throughout the week and build this church. And, and you know, some of them weren't created to do those things. We got people with PhDs moving pulpits. Literally, people with PhDs who, when they bring the pulpits out, they move the pulpits. They were not created to move pulpits, but they don't care about the what, because they know the why. <laughs> I don't care what I do, why I do it, who I do it for. That's what brings purpose into my life. So know that I'm making Jesus accessible to anyone. That's why I do it. That's why you can find purpose parking a car, purpose moving a pulpit, purpose, you know, checking in a kid. Get on a team, get on a team. This isn't just a team pitch. This is a purpose pitch. Find your purpose. Make a difference. Get on the youth ministry. Help some teenagers out. We need some moms and dads because a lot of them are growing up without them. You had a tough upbringing, they did too. Mentor them. Find your why. Get in a small group, find your why. Find your why. Let me end right here. When you ask God, what is my purpose? God says, I am your purpose. Hundreds of years ago, churches from all over Europe got together to decide what is it that Christians believe. And, and they, they wrote a document. It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's 107 questions that they felt like they had to answer that all Christians could agree upon. And so in the remaining time that I have, I'm gonna go through all 107. I'm just playing. <laughs> it's gonna be a long sermon. I just wanna go over the one and then really we're gonna wrap up. Just wanna go over one of them, one of them. It's the very first one. It's the very first question. They had all the brightest theologians, all the, all the best pastors. They came together, the bishops, they all came together. And this is what the question was, question number one. What is the chief end of man? What a question. Are you ready for the answer? For hundreds of years, Christians have subscribed to this. We've all agreed. We're all over the place on our theology. It's one of the crazy and beautiful things about Christianity, that there's space for differences. But this is one we all agree on. What is the chief end of man? Put it on the screen. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, you can give it up. To glorify God. That's why human beings exist. And that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Enjoy Him forever. And when I think that God wants to enjoy me forever, you know what I think to myself? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you've been asking yourself that question, 
who am I? I just want to remind you who you are. Ready? I am. <laughs> God says you're asking the wrong question. Stop looking at your sin. Stop looking at your past. Stop looking at all the years you lost serving other gods and other masters and being far from God. It's not about your past. Your potential is measured by my power. God says, I am. Who are you? I am. God is focusing your attention on himself. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. God is taking your attention. Where are my people? I need my people. So I feel like I don't fit in. I am your people. Follow me. I'm going to bring you to every community you need to be into. God, why am I here on this planet? I am why you're here. You were created by me to live with me for me. What is the chief end of men? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's you in this room. And you want to give your life back to Jesus. It's been years since you've raised a hand. It's been years since you've accepted your need for identity in Christ. It's been years since you've professed your sin, your history, your past, and you're ready to turn a page all over this room. If that's you, when I say three, I want to invite you to join me just by raising your hand. Join me. Join this community. Join this God life to follow Jesus with everything you have. Give him your past. Give him your present and give him your future. If that's you and you're in this room, when I say three, shoot your right hand up high to the sky all over the room. One, two, three. Right now, shoot your hand high. Come on, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see it. I see it. You can go ahead and put it down. I want you to repeat this prayer after me if you raised your hand, even if you didn't. I want everyone in the room to repeat after me. Let's help those out who raised their hand. Let's remind them that they're a part of a community now. Everyone say, Father God, I got questions, but today I believe you are the answer. So I give you my everything. Every doubt, every worry, every fear, every decision, every choice, every day of my past, I trade for a day of your future. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. You died on the cross to give me new life. In your name I pray, amen. And amen. Would you give it up for all those who made a decision to follow Christ? Come on, let's stand on our feet and let's work. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.